Welcome to our 24th episode of the Transportation Management Podcast. Today's topic is the trigger concept in transportation management. My name is Thomas Quintus. I'm developer in the freight order management team. Hello, my name is Gustav Zoll. I joined TM IMS team this year. My main area is the freight order management. Hello, my name is Tina German. I'm an intern in the development team Freight Order Management. Yeah, my name is Bernd van Dietrich. Uh, I'm also in the Freight Order Management team. I'm a happy developer of the affected developer of the trigger report as well. And I do the recording today. Okay. What is today's topic? What are we talking about? So, uh, Today's topic is the trigger concept in general, specifically uh, trigger report, um, SCM TMS process trigger BGD for background. We will come to that later. Um, that is supposed to resolve all the triggers that were created in the system. So Okay, that's it for today then, right? <laughs> Or should we uh, explain a bit more? <laughs> yeah, what's the trigger concept? Uh, trigger concept in TM is the main tool to, to enable a kind of loose coupling between documents. For example, the easiest example is if you have a, a forwarding order, which is already planned on a freight order, and somebody locks the freight order in edit mode, for example, and somebody else tries to change the forwarding order, what should happen? Um, we decided in the beginning with TM80 that the blocking of the freight order should not um, um, should not disallow somebody else to to change the forwarding order because yeah yeah maybe I can we can go a bit into uh, history for that uh, why we went that way because in TM60 and 70 uh, rest in peace. Um, we we didn't have such a trigger concept at all, and okay, at that time we also had a lot of business objects. So we had the TRQ, no SRQ, and freight units, and PTAs, and a lot of different uh, objects involved. And now, if a change come in, for example, from ERP, we had an update in the TRQ, which then sorry SRQ in that time, which then made an update in the freight unit, which then made an update in the PTA, which then made an update in the tour and a freight order at that time. What was it called? Tour at that time, and that, or, or shipment order was even a bit later there. And then this shipment order was locked. So now <laughs> uh, uh, the whole transaction was uh, basically broken. So we had to roll back uh, everything. Uh, at that time, we had a so-called uh, Abfangjäger, so stealth fighter or so, which then, if we discovered uh, such a locking issue, the complete transaction dumped to just to be complete. So I think that was one of the parents uh, uh, or reasons uh, why we uh, decided to decouple. Because if you have to, if you at the very end find out that uh, there's something that you would have should have locked at the beginning, but you haven't, then uh, you have an issue to have a consistent transaction. And on the other hand, if you lock everything very early, so you go into the forwarding order and you could affect uh, the, the invoice uh, later that you send to your carrier, so let's say five documents later in the doc chain, then you very often block your complete system uh, yeah, without even need to do so. Yeah? And then nobody could really work. I think that this... A bit of history uh, behind all this. <laughs> so that means since 8.0, everything is much simpler. Of course. <laughs> okay, so then let's mm. assume somebody tries to change a forwarding order. Yeah. Um, what we will do when changing a forwarding order, we will try to lock the freight unit as before. So if you cannot lock the freight unit, you're not allowed to change the forwarding order. So there's a strong coupling between these two documents. But assume the freight unit is not locked so when changing the forwarding order you can lock the freight unit but the freight order is still locked we want to allow this process so what will happen is you will change your forwarding order the change will be propagated to the freight unit 
the system realizes that the freight order cannot be updated, so it will create a trigger for this and then do the normal save. This is the simplest case of creating a trigger. Freight order is already locked by somebody. Forwarding order will be changed by somebody else and the propagation is so to say stored on a database table um, which has to be resolved later by some mechanism. So the propagation for example of quantities of the item or times or whatever. Okay. So for this in the time frame between saving the forwarding order and resolving the issue with the trigger, these two documents, forwarding order and freight order, are not completely synchronized, let's say. They are only synchronized if you consider in the whole picture the existence of the trigger that has been created in the meantime. So what is this trigger? This trigger is simply a, a picture of of the action that should have been called on the freight order, if that had been possible at that point in time. So the system basically takes the action that propagates the change and dumps all the context data of this action into a database entry and stores that. Okay. So, but basically, I think it's important to know that in principle, only the necessity of that action is that you said you save the context data but i think what, what also can happen is that i change the forwarding order and change the quantity from 10 to 20 and and then uh, the freight order is locked and five minutes later the freight order is still locked optimizer run or something and i change it again back to 10 or 11 or something and then okay it's still locked so we again come into that um, trigger processing right And uh, I think for, for that, it's important to know that we would not store the data. We, we don't write down, okay, it's now 20 or something, but we just say, okay, freight order or in that example, follow-up document, you need to update yourself from the predecessor. Yes. Or vice versa, if the TRQ is locked and the planning status of the freight unit has been changed, meanwhile, dear TRQ, please check your overall life cycle status. So yes. it's, so to say stateless. I think that's important to know. So, and that's why also the sequence of the triggers doesn't matter because there's normally, hopefully, always, the uh, trigger only runs, or the processing the trigger only runs then on the current situation, which is then... Hmm. But yeah. I guess if we would uh, have stored the context as well, so the action parameters, the trigger report would also... Uh, uses these uh, parameters, then he, he would execute yeah. the action. But if the action doesn't have the parameter, then only the... But this depends. In the end, everything depends on the implementation of the action. If the action um, simply tells the freight order, please do an update for all your items from the corresponding freight unit items, then this is okay. This is a good action that can be handled by the trigger concept. But instead, if you have a not-so-nice action which stores some concrete values in the parameters, then this is a bad example for the trigger report. In standard, all these actions behave nicely. So <laughs> um, in, in the example of a quantity change in a forwarding order item, for example, we store the action for the freight order, which tells the freight order to take all the the current data from the freight unit. So independent of what happened to these freight unit items in the meantime. Because otherwise you would have that sequencing uh, problem. You also would update. Let's say in my example, yeah. you would have two updates and the, let's say intermediate update would not really be, be relevant. I mean, of course, that's also important to consider if we uh, talk about something like the change controller in the freight order then, right? Because then I have one change and another so to say, change back in a freight order. And depending on when this trigger runs, of course, the delta would be different, right? If the trigger report would have uh, picked that trigger before the second change, then I would have a change from 10 to 20. And then if I change back from to 11, I said, right? 
then again back from 20 to 11. So that's why I think um, now we can maybe come to that report a bit. Uh, the recommendations also to process uh, that triggers frequently, often. Like, of, like. of course, it depends on your concrete situation. But obviously, if you have um, a lot of changes, which cannot be processed because you have a lot of locked documents, then the number of triggers will be higher than in other situations where you hardly have any, any changes, for example. So that's why we uh, wrote down in our uh, application operations guide that the recommendation from SAP is to schedule this trigger report as a background job every 10 minutes. So it should run six times an hour 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. And okay, Christmas might be an exception, but otherwise... Very important, it should run from the very beginning. So before you start any activities in your system, one of the first things should be that you schedule this background job. Otherwise, you will start already with a huge number of triggers in your database. Mm -hmm. And this means that, yeah, that you, the, the job... Take, takes long time to, to and, finish. And not only that, it also means that your freight orders, for example, not up to date. So yes. it would still work on the wrong quantities there. Yeah. So clear recommendation is to run this every 10 minutes as a guideline. You might change this to something uh, more frequently or less frequently, uh, depending on your situation. But our experience is that 10 minutes is quite okay. Because the good thing is also that it then that does some mass processing, so all triggers, so let's say all updates for 100 freight orders are processed uh, together. That is typically also a performance uh, gain. Okay, maybe coming back to that trigger creation in more detail, I think, or did we cover? Yeah, it's okay, the overall process is. I come into a situation where I create a trigger, which is, for example, for locking. I think we come a bit later also to other examples. Then I dump something into a database. We come to that details also later. And then I have that report. You already mentioned the name, right? CMTMS. Trigger Process PGD. PGD. And I run it. Uh, not talking about the parameters yet, uh, and then everything is up to date again. Everybody happy, table empty. Okay, I think that's the 10,000 feet perspective. This is the idea. On, on the trigger. <laughs> okay, maybe we can now dive a bit deeper on when and also maybe technically how are triggers generated. Um, maybe so we already mentioned uh, the locking issue, but I think there are also... Um, other cases. The typical case is that uh, you create a trigger for, because of a locked document. So uh, the case of yeah. updating, uh, freight unit tries to update a subsequent freight order. It would call the uh, the action for do follow up documents. This in turn will ask the freight order to call the action update from related tours, which is the freight unit in that case. Uh, if this is not possible because the freight order is locked, the update from related TORS action for of the freight order will be stored as a trigger in the database table, together with the whole context in which this action was called. So, for example, if this happens in a, in a mass process, for example, because you started from a POWL or something like that, we will store this action call together with the whole set of keys for which this action should have been called. This is important because we will generate for each freight order a trigger. Let's say we, we are dealing with 100 freight orders at the same time. Mm -hmm. So we will get 100 triggers, but these 100 triggers will share the same context because they have been called at the same point in time. It's the same action. Okay. Um, there are other situations where we create trigger without having locked documents for uh, asynchronous follow-up processes mm. where mm. we don't want to deal immediately with propagation. So temporarily, we store them also as triggers and uh, let them be 
executed by the next run of the hopefully scheduled background job. And technically, where and how do we start? Well, there are two uh, database tables, um, as you might have guessed. The first table is the trigger header, where we store basically the key. So the, it's the, 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 the GUID of the, of the affected document. In our example of this 100 freight orders, we will store 100 entries, each having the GUID of one of the freight orders. And we table have name? Table name <laughs> is SCMTMS T-R-I-G-H-D, trigger header. D underscore? No, uh, no uh, D underscore T-R-I-G-H-D. Okay. Um, and there is a child table, the context table, SCMTMS, D underscore <laughs> T-R-I-G-C-X, which stores the context. So in our case, the trigger header will get 100 new entries and the trigger context table will get one new entry. Because all of the them... The link is done by a foreign key. A grid in the, in the attribute part of the header table referring to the key field of the context table. And the context table basically consists of a long string, which contains the whole context of the action call in, in compressed form. So this is done via a uh, ABAP statement, um, um, ABAP in the, in the ABAP, in the buffer. Um, Convert to buffers, yeah, and then export to, to export to buffer. Export to buffer. Like a big yes. blob, right? Yeah. So, uh, basically, uh, you can't see anything. If you check the context, uh, contents of this table, uh, you don't have a clue what this is about. You can see only in the header table what the uh, key is of the affected document, and you have the trigger ID, the, the other important field, which tells you something about um, to which action this uh, trigger might be related. The trigger ID is it's not exactly a one-to-one -one relationship to the action. The action itself is only available in the context part of the context table, of course. Um, but the for readability, this trigger ID um, um, gives its speaking name almost gives you an idea um, which action is still pending for for a certain freight order, for example. Okay, and so do we have some examples for that trigger <coughs> IDs? Yeah, I mean the famous names are uh, TRQ. Um, aggregate lifecycle status or do follow up tour mm. or something. Uh, this is a, a system table, SCMTMS I trick ID. Mm. You can see the contents there. They are also available as constants in the trigger constant interface. And only those can be used for, for the trigger. Yes. Right. So, yeah. So I would take away from that so if you listen to that episode and you never heard about an unlikely case you never heard about that uh, trigger concept and report before you check your table and it is empty hopefully right so that is this trigger header table should be empty otherwise yeah okay we come to that later <laughs> but if the trigger header table is empty then the trigger context table should be empty as well hmm. if not then there is a, a small report which is able to clean up the context table and we will yeah, give that report name in the show notes, I think. Yeah, I mean, there's also, <laughs> if you if you see your application operations guide, um, there's also a link to a consulting note where all these small helpers are mentioned. Okay. Yeah, we, we also can cross-reference um, well, that note. Okay, so that is the first case, how triggers can get generated when... The document is locked, right? I think the second uh, reason can be uh, that you intentionally don't want to update, for example, the booking, right? I think the we'll elaborate on that a bit, or should I? <laughs> yeah, I mean it's, it's simply a way to 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 postpone subsequent mm. actions just to mm. to finish something earlier. You store it explicitly as a trigger with. The disadvantage that you have a certain delay 
but with the advantage that it's separated. So it, technically, it works exactly the same way as the trigger concept for locked documents. Okay. Just another way of using this concept. Example would be, I think, in the in the air booking, we did it first for, for the air booking that somebody signs a forwarding order to the air booking. Um, that, of course, if you directly assign it there, the air booking would be locked and nobody else could sign it at the time. And also, the people responsible for the bookings could not enter it because it's locked by, by user then. And I think to address that, we introduced in the booking type customizing. Um, parameter, which is, uh, what is a direct update or asynchronous update allowed or so, something like that. It's in the lower right corner of the customizing, if I remember right. Um, and with that, you can kind of treat that booking as is, as if it would be locked. So if I up assign a forwarding order to that booking or remove it, then instead of trying to assign it to the booking first and then only go to the trigger mode if it fails because of locking, it directly creates a trigger entry and then the next batch will pick it up so that you don't, yeah, that's more also decoupling between the different organization units and last changed by kind of things. And, and But mainly the locking thing that then is, because once you touch an object in Bob until you save, then again, it depends on the transaction mode, the document will remain locked. So if you assign it and then you continue working in your forwarding order, the booking would be locked and locked and locked. Not only at the, at the moment where you assign it, but the whole transaction. I think that's why that's that's why we, we use that also for that um, purpose. And I think there's one more more freestyle way. I think we did it with, with a customer who also wants to apply something similar while their documents are in tendering. They don't want to update because the um, carriers are kind of have a non-TM system, a non-SAP TM system, so legacy system that cannot handle changes. And for a short period uh, until they also upgrade uh, to sub TM, they cannot receive any updates while the tendering is uh, in process. And that's why they also stop it. But that's a bit of custom development. And yeah, and this is a maybe. specific implementation for a specific action. So this kind of trigger will be created only for one action. I think this is the update from related, update from related, related tour. tour. So in this case, only one specific trigger ID will be visible for, for such documents and tables. Maybe based on the trigger ID, we can check which objects in TM use this uh, trigger concept. You mentioned the tour. Yeah. But uh, besides uh, Tor, other uh, business object can also use in standard this concept. Yes, currently the trigger concept is used mainly for Tor and TRQ documents, but also for schedules, um, allocations. I've seen some IDs. Um, yeah, I think there are currently there are around 30 or 35 different um, trigger IDs. If you're interested in to find out. Um, for which purpose one trigger ID is used, then the best way is to do a where used on the on the trigger ID in the constant interface. This is it's a common. This is it. Which constant interface is it? It's the trigger constant interface. Okay. STMTMS IF trig C. With underscore between. As far as I remember, also the Chaco, the process controller, uses yeah. this concept Chaco. as well. Is a little bit a special case because the Jaco currently is the only trigger ID that doesn't refer to an action but to a function module because the implementation of the of the change controller has been done by a function module. So this is not so nice for the trigger report because the trigger report for the trigger report there's the the the, the main item is a is a trigger and. It has to retrieve from the context all the information about that trigger. So only when retrieving the context from the from the from this trigger, it it realizes that now it has to call a function module instead of an action, and this makes it not so nice in the implementation of the trigger report. So basically, we have everything what is there in the trigger report is there in two versions: one version for actions and one version 
for function modules. So, for example, when doing maintenance, you always have to keep in mind if you do a correction in one area, there's a high probability that you have to do it a second time, time for the function module version. But this is more for us, huh? so far. <laughs> Yeah, it's also interfaces of function modules behave a little bit differently than interfaces of than the parameter uh, structures of, of actions when doing all this internal handling. Yeah. But change controller is a very prominent example. So this is yeah, because usage of the change controller can lead to um, mass updates of of different documents in in the system. So this is a a good candidate for creating triggers. Ah, the change controller is a good candidate for another podcast episode then, but okay, that's... <laughs> we already had the process controller yeah. episode, yeah, so we touched this already. But another thing that comes to my mind is it's not only that you can create uh, triggers for business objects, but you can even create triggers for nodes of a business object. So, for example, in the Tor object, we have uh, a trigger ID that refers to an update of a Tor stock. So even that is possible because um, if you have an, an, an action in your model that operates on a specific node of an object, not on the root node necessarily, then of course for the trigger report or the trigger concept, this doesn't matter. It's just a, a key. And in the context, you you, you uh, store to which node in, in um, you refer to. Ah, this can this gives us a plug. One, uh, maybe the big example for that is the time propagation for freight units, right? Because we have yes. freight unit stages can be planned in parallel, which means the stops and stop successors can be locked separately. So I can plan the pre-leg and the on-carriage or main carriage in principle in parallel. And of course, this can lead to the time conflict, basically. So if I, yeah, I'm very optimistic on the pre-leg and on the main carriage, then I have a good chance that I have a time conflict afterwards. But still, we have the requirement that they, that those stages can be planned separately. So we have to handle that. And that's also done with that report. And that is then on stage level or technically stop level where we, um, do the locking and then also the action where we check if we now have a time conflict or not. That's another candidate uh, where we have quite some entries sometimes in the trigger table. I think. Uh, okay. I think that's okay for how to create triggers, but I think we only create them to get rid of them again with that report. So maybe we can go a bit deeper on that report side so yes. already mentioned the report should be scheduled as a background shop frequently proposal every 10 minutes um, with a standard variant and the default variant is i think we added in the last few months a few uh, selection parameters for this report uh, in the consulting note that is mentioned in the application operations guide um, I wrote down in which support package for which release we added which selection parameter. Um, for example, one selection parameter is the package size. Um, well, this package size parameter is quite old. What is what has been changed is that the default value has been set to 1,000, I think. Uh, previously, it was what's initial, empty. Um, so the meaning of this package size is um, that we try to process not more than 1,000 triggers before we do a commit. This allows um, um, reducing runtimes because the buffers involved um, don't grow too much. Uh, in case of an error, we are not forced to roll back everything. Um, yeah, I mean, it's a parameter if you... Um, you have to play around with it if you think this is required. The default 1,000 is uh, yeah. What, After what a lot use. of scientific research, we found that 1,000 exactly to be very good default. Yeah. Um, uh, I was a little bit wack about that we try to uh, process not much more, not many more than 1,000 entries. Um, 
the, the, the situation is a little bit more complicated because, as I mentioned in the beginning, we try to process triggers as, in a way, how they have been created by the original action. So uh, let's say, for example, uh, we have again our 100 freight order example, which we try to change um, coming from a, from a POWL action for freight order, for forwarding order, for example. Let's assume we have already, the package size is 1000, the default value. We have already processed 950 triggers. And now we hit the first entry of this 100 freight orders. So we have the choice either we process only the first 50 freight orders because the package size is 1000, or we keep our original idea and do what should have been done originally. And this is the way we followed. In that case, um, we will take all the 100 triggers belonging to the same context, process them, and then apply the package size. So we realize then, after we applied the 100 uh, triggers for the freight orders with the same context, we realize we process now 1,050 freight orders. This is bigger than 1,000, or at least as big as 1,000. Then we apply the package size. So this means... In some cases, we will exceed the package size, but let's say not much. This is one selection parameter. Uh, there's another important selection parameter, which, which might be used mainly for support uh, activities. This is the restriction to a certain trigger ID. So there is a, a select option available for the trigger ID. So if you have an issue with one specific trigger, ID, then you can um, select that trigger ID. Default, of course, is all trigger IDs. And in such uh, a way, you can influence the sequence somehow. For example, the triggers. yes, the, the standard sequence, I think, is the alphabetical order of the trigger ID in the S database table, which is, yeah. What else could it be? <laughs> um, <laughs> Another important selection parameter that has been introduced in, in a support package for all um, releases is the timestamp. The trigger header table contains the timestamp of a uh, timestamp of creation time uh, in UTC time zone. Um, and with that, uh, this is a range selection option. You can select, for example, just if it happens in a not so important test system that you didn't schedule the background report from the very beginning. No, that can't happen to If you realize that, um, yeah, you have already several thousand triggers because the, the report was never uh, executed, then you can restrict the selection on based on this creation timestamp. So, for example, you already know that the um, freight orders from last year are completed and maybe you missed the pending action, but anyway, now it doesn't help anymore. So you want to process only the triggers created in the last two weeks. You can um, select the, those triggers based on their creation type set. Unfortunately, currently there is no option to, to get rid of the other triggers easily, but yeah, that's that's the current status. So if you're interested only in the latest triggers, then please use the timestamp range selection. Okay. I think there are also some parameters like uh, process in case of errors uh, kind of thing, should we? Yeah, the, this is a radio button <laughs> option, so the, the standard um, the variant is the normal processing take any trigger that is there on the database table and try to process it. Okay. Um, well, for historical reasons, there are other ways to use that. For example, one um, uh, variant um, enables you to, to mark entries for which you get an error during processing. This is a flag hmm. or a, a, I think a letter R or E, I don't remember exactly, which is stored after processing uh, after finishing the report, this is stored on the database table just to allow you in the next run to delete those entries. Um, yeah, I, I haven't seen any any 
um, usage of this variant. The issue is that you need to be able to, to catch an error. Okay. And since you, a trigger can call an, an, an arbitrary action in the system, you never know whether you can catch an error or not. The system might, there might be errors that will simply get a dump. And of course, then this variant also doesn't help. Yeah. But this was the, the main idea. If you can catch an error from your action, you can store that information in the trigger itself. And then you check the document itself and realize, oh, I don't need this update anymore. And then you can, by a different variant, you can run the trigger reports in the way that it deletes these marked triggers. I mean, that's a good um, point. Are, are we complete with that um, report or is there something more? Ah, maybe there's one thing. Uh, uh, you said you run that report. I think normally you would schedule it, right? Yes. And uh, maybe one thing, I think pretty normal in SAP landscape, but you should not use a named user for that uh, so if you schedule typically a report, okay, somebody has to do it, but then you would schedule it for a system user or something or a batch user or something. And I, that's a, that's the first thing. So don't use a named user because what happens then? This user leaves the project, the user is locked and nobody looks at that report. And from the moment on, the user disappears from the system. Of course, the system, uh, the, the batch report would stop working because that user does not exist in the system anymore. So you have something like a batch user or so, and we have in TM that's a bit it's specific. It's the same for all scheduled jobs. That is yeah. totally true, and that's also the same is true uh, for, for all TM jobs uh, or for that kind of users. We have a special authorization um, like TM all, mm -hmm. which basically forces the uh, authority check to yeah leave more or less directly. So you can assign them to that kind of batch users um, that special authorization. And to be on the very safe side, you also have to activate something in a little body that you really want to do that. Um, to, for security reasons, um, we are a bit uh, defensive on that one. But then uh, that processing is also way faster because for that specific user, he's just allowed to do anything in TM. With that special authorization, we can also, I forgot the note number, which brings that and explains a bit on that. We can also, um, yeah, add that to the show notes, then that specific super TM super authorization. I think besides that uh, report, there's, there are also other ways to, to process triggers, right? So if I have a certain document and I want to be sure that all the triggers are processed for the document, maybe I don't want to go to the report and run it for all triggers, but uh, maybe come more from the document side. Yeah, well, this is not exactly right that there is no standard way of executing those triggers, but there is an action that um, allows you to process triggers for a specific document. This is currently implemented only for the Tor root. Mm -hmm. So you remember you can have triggers for any node in one of your BO models, but this specific action is available only for the Tor root node. And this action is simply there. So as a customer, you can use it, for example. And well, I, I think this is the main idea where we might even sometime use it in standard, for example, um, um, when you want to send a freight order to, to ERP to create a shipment. This is one of the uh, two scenarios for our shipment integration. Anton, this one's not for you. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> um, it's um, quite important that this freight order is up to date. So, for example, if you have a pending trigger for this freight order that um, reassigns the freight unit from an order-based transportation requirement to a delivery-based transportation requirement, you cannot send the freight order to ERP before because in the in this action, sending it to ERP, there is a check whether all freight orders already refer to delivery-based transportation requirements. So if you miss, if you lock uh, your freight order and you get the update from ERP, that creates the delivery-based transportation requirement, and you don't propagate this change to the freight order, you cannot send the freight order as a shipment to ERP. So 
now if a user wants to send this freight order as a shipment to, to ERP from the UI, he will get the error message. Um, I don't remember completely. It's something mm, yeah. uh, action not enabled or something like that. Um, so in that case, if you don't want to wait for the next run of the trigger report in background, um, you have the possibility to run this specific new um, action that processes the triggers for this document before sending your document to, to ERP. And this will then uh, enable the action uh, because the freight order then refers only to delivery-based transportation requirements. Can you also call that action somewhere from the UI, like POW yes, or something? Currently, there is no action okay. on the UI, but yeah, this would be an easy yeah. development. Maybe we have to convince one of our product owners to create a backlog item for it. Or do a secret development. <laughs> really, uh, regarding the performance of this trigger report, uh, as far as I remember, the trigger report also blocks uh, the, do the do documents. Yes. And excludes those triggers, which cannot be loaded. Yeah, there is a. Uh, this yeah, is a good point. Yeah, it's a good good point. Yeah, and it was a decision whether we should lock all the triggers in the very beginning, or we should wait until the action is called. And we decided we will try to lock as many documents from the very beginning because we realized um, that um, otherwise we would create too many triggers by the trigger report itself because when an action is called the action typically doesn't know anymore whether it's called from the trigger report or or from a ui action for example so what the trigger report does internally it is it tries to lock as many objects as possible in the beginning and if it can't lock any object then it ignores it completely so it leaves the trigger without touching it further so this was part of one performance Improvement where we had quite um, a few in the last one, two years, and but, but since the situation is is so generic, it, it can be a disadvantage in certain situations. You, you never know. But our assumption is that in average, this should help. Maybe that's a good uh, point <laughs> in time for a small sidestep uh, about locking and, and Bob. I think that's also. A, For those of you that uh, develop um, a bit in, in TM space, um, if if you have an action and you just call it action ignoring locking in the first place, and then this action does a modify modification um, from within the coding, which is typically what a what an action does, right? So you call a root action, customer root action, and then you modify a customer root field in your action. If now Bob finds out, okay, now I have an update to the document and then runs into a locking issue, so somebody else locked that um, document externally, you get a dump. So if you have a customer action, you have to make sure that you have the, the so-called lock nodes for that action set correctly in Bob. So now if you create an action, you enter the class name, etc. And I think on the second tab or somewhere, you define what are the nodes that you plan to lock with that action. And that's not just a loose recommendation or a nice, nice to have thing. You have to set that because otherwise you get very strange dumps because that's an, and it's not To be very precise, that dump is not in a point of time when you write the modification, but when the modification is processed. And then you can enjoy finding that place, which is the next end modify. For example, if it goes back to the UI, so you have your action, then five other actions, and then uh, an end modify comes, and then it dumps, and then find out that you, with your action, uh, are, are the guilty one. So that's why it's very important if you have your own um, action um, created in, in Bob. Think about what are the nodes that I will change. For example, if I have the root node, I change, have as a right node the root node, but it can also be a different node. For example, I technically that action is on the say stop level, but I know that I also will update the root node. Then you have to have two right nodes, the stop node and the root node. Yeah? Because then if the action is called and 
Bob will check beforehand if it can lock, and if not, you have failed keys in the action. But that's at least a defined situation then, and that's also how we uh, do that enqueuing. That so yeah, maybe just a bit of a sidestep, but still maybe important to know because that those dumps um, are really ugly because it's in the end modifier you don't typically you don't know why who wrote that entry uh, that now has a locking issue. So it's always um, a good idea to lock before you code, so to say. Okay. Okay. So, anything more? Maybe, yeah, one, one small thing maybe, uh, because we just run over it. Upgrades, right? So um, maybe if you, some of you may upgrade now from... 8.0, 8.1 or something to 9.0 or more likely now 9.1 as we are now in GA already. Um, yeah, maybe okay. some... Yeah, of course, the recommendation is uh, since triggers are only a temporary entity because they are usually created only when a document is locked, you should try to remove all triggers before you do an upgrade, for example, because of course... You don't lock any documents anymore when you uh, do an upgrade. And the last, the first thing with the new system is schedule the background shop for trigger processing. And the last thing before you upgrade is you run the report again, because then it should clear um, the trigger table and all documents will be in sync before you have a, a clean upgrade. Otherwise, what could theoretically happen is that interfaces of actions or function modules change from one release to the other and retrieving context data might get complicated. So the recommendation is clear the trigger table by running the background job one last time before you uh, do an upgrade. This is a, a, a nice end of a system's lifetime. <laughs> We can touch shortly the enhancement question. Uh, is it possible for the customer to enhance uh, something in this concept, uh, introduce new triggers or something like this? You mentioned this, this no, table is S table. Yeah. Okay. Table for the trigger IDs is an S table, so it's not supposed to be enhanced by customer. No, the table is not just supposed to be enhanced, but the, the customer should also not create new entries. Um, for this table, what a customer can do, of course, can reuse existing trigger IDs if it refers to a, to a suitable action. So, for example, I already mentioned that there's, it's not exactly a one-to-one -one relationship between a trigger ID and the action. So, we have trigger IDs that serve two or three actions because they are very similar. So, this, of course, can be also done by, by a Customer. In that way, we make sure that we have all the, uh, the constants available, for example. And I think the typical use case we have is you also want to update a follow-up document. So we want to copy something through or so. And in that case, I think it's just a good idea as kind of a uh, yeah surf on the existing stuff. So maybe just enhance the action update if, you, if it's about tours. Uh, update from related tours, which is the action, which is always called if you run into a lock or locking issue when propagating data changes from the predecessor to the successor. So you can then use standard technologies to enhance this update from related tours action, which is always called if a predecessor document has been changed. So in that case, you don't have to think about setting the trigger and, and creating a trigger ID. Also, but if you have other use cases where you have to think and you need that specifics, then you should follow what Thomas mentioned. So create your own. In some, in some sense, it's always an update of a follow-up document because a trigger is only created when you have a locked document. And if you yeah. try to perform an action, which propagation of which fails because of another locked document, yeah. then this is some kind of a follow-up for another document. And yeah. This can be a tour, a tour route, or a tour mm. stop. It can be a TRQ route, it can be a schedule, or whatever. Mm. And for all, well, maybe not for all, but for all cases we are aware of, we already have trigger IDs for it. So currently we don't see 
a re requirement to, to create new trigger IDs. But yeah, there are more convenient ways to achieve that. Okay, longer than we thought again. <laughs> So maybe in the end, for all the consultants out there, it's not that hard. Just schedule the trigger report, and he'll it will do all the job. There's nothing you have to worry about once you once you have it running. Scheduled running, yeah. yeah. In the best case, whenever <laughs> you download the TM software, you read first the application operations guide. Of course, you do. <laughs> You read that you have to schedule the background shop before you create any document or start with your customizing or whatever. And it's not only that job you have to schedule, right? There are also yeah. other important jobs which is which are not covered yet by an episode like location deletions and, and there are other kind of uh, cleanup report or housekeeping reports which are needed and then they are all mentioned in the application. There's one paragraph for which lists all these uh, jobs that have to be scheduled. And in the best case, then forget about triggers. If you observe, I mean, some customers do that they observe growth of database tables, then the table for the trigger headers is the one which should make you think about the trigger concept. Um, and in that case, it's important or it might be helpful to check the trigger ID that is affected. Usually this is then one uh, trigger ID that is responsible for the uh, gross. Um, yeah, and then, but you have to start analyzing. Since this concept is so generic, there is no, no general recommendation what to do. It always depends on the action. Nice closing words. Goodbye. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the trigger report. Do not forget about it. But then once scheduled, you can forget about it, basically, right? You should, you should. <laughs> okay. Bye. Bye. Bye.